There are those people who thrive on pushing the envelope and do so with amazing results. What would it be like to breed dairy goats without worrying about crossing breed lines? On this week's episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I are joined by Megan Okeson of De Drago Dairy Goats. Megan regularly colors outside the lines and has great success in doing so. Come along and learn about the world of experimentals. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. I am Cameron. I'm Laura. And this week we're excited to have um, Megan Okison on the podcast here today. Megan, tell us a little bit about your herd um, and what your background in dairy goats looks like. Sure. Um, my grandparents had dairy goats ever since I can remember when I was very young. Um, they lived in... Wisconsin and bred Nubians under the Apana Hill um, herd name. I remember some some of my first memories are when I was young, um, hanging out with the goats, and I always really loved them. Um, at the time, I lived in the city with my family, but we would go and visit my grandparents and show um, goats and stuff. We ended up moving into a duplex out in the country um, in a different place in Wisconsin, and so the goats were then in the backyard. Um, they gave me my first goat in 2001, so I would have been 11 at the time. Um, her name was Portia, and she was very special to me. Um, I don't have anything that goes back to her now because she ended up being pretty trash. But um, <laughs> So that was my first goat. Um, when me and my parents um, moved to Nebraska, or my mom met my stepdad, um, our herd name then was New Dreams, so that was the registered name for all, or that was the name for all of our goats for, um, I guess, eleven years. Um, one of the biggest, I guess, points of my dairy goat life at this time was the first national show we went to in two thousand six. Um, I would say that it definitely changed my life for several reasons, um, including meeting my current and lifelong best friends. Um, and as well as just seeing the goats on a national level, uh, it just changed my whole mind about what dairy goats really are. And um, ever since then, my focus has always been more on a national level and not as much on the, sh- on the local level. Um, I always wanted to, ever since then, have a nationally competitive herd. Um, so, that, so showing is actually one of my main driving forces, I suppose, with the dairy goats. Um, so that year was, that was 2006. That was Indianapolis. Um, I was a junior in high school at the time. And at that show, I decided I wanted La Mancha's. At the time, we just had Oberhosleys and Alpines. And we did have some experimentals and recorded grades, um, at the time. Um, so, so at that show, I decided I wanted La Mancha's and I'd be just become friends with my, like I said, my best friends, Josh and Levi Campbell, um, who live in Missouri currently. Um, so they actually gave me my first La Mancha that year in 2006. Her name was Juanita. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of a new chapter. Um, after that, I w- went to college. I went to Kansas State University and I got a bachelor degree in animal science, production management. Uh, with a focus or in equine science and nutrition and reproduction, I guess, was a lot of the courses I was focusing on taking. And I got like an equine science certificate. 
Um, and so during this time, I was an ADGA licensed judge for, judge for four years. I really, really loved judging. I want to judge again someday, but life and not having a lot of chore helps, um, not having a lot of chore help keeps me from that now. Um, that really, boy, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. It's It's hard to get away when, yeah, it's hard to get away when you don't know who's going to take care of things at home and you don't want your animals at home to suffer for you being gone. So I get that. Yeah, definitely. I always love judging, Um, you know, seeing good goats across the country. It's different than even at nationals, but that's one of my favorite thing about about nationals is seeing goats from all over and what different people are focusing on and doing with their breeding programs. For sure. Um, so in 2012, I had to take um, like ownership of the herd or I had to essentially do this on my own. Um, so that's when I decided to change the herd name to Drago. So I, I can explain what that means now. Um, so I am a giant nerd. But um, so it's <laughs> it's phonetic spelling of the Italian words Drago. So you say it Drago. It's D-I space D-R-A-G-O. Um, and it means of dragon. So I wanted my her name to mean dragonborn at the time. Skyrim was like the best game in the world. And I've always oh, totally loved dragons. Cool. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> and definitely Lori Acton's mom's her name of Dirugestal. I think I might have said that wrong. But that was a huge inspiration. I always loved that her name and how creative it was. And how I've also liked um, her names like Castamer, where it's like a made up word or a combination so that those were definitely inspirations of my favorite herd names and it was fun to be able to pick a herd name after i was kind of already in it because like when we picked new dreams we didn't really know what we were doing at the time (laughs) yeah um so i guess my another introduction or the synopsis and like i said i um, I put a lot of emphasis on showing, I suppose, with my own goat. So I've bred and owned several national champions, like three senior national champions and four junior national or reserve junior champions, and also some does that have gotten like utter awards at nationals. Um, I've been premier breeder for experimentals and premier exhibitor three different times in 2011 and then 2017 and 2018. Um, I've went to every national show since 2000, except since 2006, except the two that were in Redmond, Oregon. Um, in 2015, we had just relocated me and my partner down to Kansas. Um, and in 2019, my goats just didn't look very good, so it wasn't worth the haul. <laughs> so yeah, it's currently a long trip. I have, yeah, and yeah, I was I was just wasn't super happy, and I didn't have like a good national show quality show string and I could see that. So I wasn't like, you know, proud of the goats that I would have been bringing as a whole herd unit. Um, so yeah, currently I have over and experimental. I do have a few Nubians. Um, I ended up selling the La Manchas in 2014, 2015. And then that was actually the same time I decided to get a few Nubians. Um, I'm really good friends with Sarah Kane Wahlberg and Danny Louie in Minnesota, which I think you've done an episode with Sarah. Uh-huh. Um, 
and so my Nubians all all are from them. They're all Blissberry genetics. Um, it is kind of a fun project in the sense that it's completely different. And essentially, the Sparknotes version of why I got out of La Mancha's is that because I didn't have very many, um, I kind of had to be really selective with my genetics. And so I had kind of tried several different herds and tried different things. And then I just really wasn't happy with where, where they were at. So if I was going to stay with, um, I essentially kind of needed to start over. And um, so I decided to get rid of them and focus on the obes and experimentals. And then I fell in love with a few Nubians that were for sale from my friends. So that accidentally happened. <laughs> and um <laughs> Currently, I manage Kanza Vet Clinic in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, the veterinarian, Dr. Deb Mangelsdorf, she also raises dairy goats under the Kanza Kids herd name, or in Capricans is her daughter. Um, so most of our, like 95% of our patients are dogs and cats, but then the third most common species are definitely goats. And yes. Dr. Deb is such a great resource for the dairy goat community. I mean, she She's really incredible. didn't hardly know me and, and gave me some excellent advice on a problem I was having. And, and she does that all the time. So she's just truly a jewel that we have in the goat community for sure. And I, and I will say you guys saved my butt when some of our, some of my dogs at allegedly ate some rat poison in Kansas as well. And we had to come get some, I think it was charcoal or something from you guys. Oh, and I, I remember was that. Like, I was like, I need, I need something for you guys. And then I went and I got cupcakes for you guys. Cause like, ah, you guys are saving our butts. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. That's funny. I had forgotten. <laughs> yeah. So that, well, that, that's gotta be fun, especially when you get to have goat clients come in, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's so uh, let's. I think let's go right to talking about what's on our farm. Laura, what's happening at your place? Um. So uh, I just had a fun thing happen today. I had two little salmon butt kids. Actually, they were Elizabeths, and one little Alpine butt kid that was, you know, still needing a home. Didn't really want to take him to the sale barn, and um, my stepdaughter took them home. All three of them, and rigged up a little pin. And so their kids are going to raise them. So it's kind of fun to have yet another generation, at least playing with some bottle babies for a while. So um, the, the numbers are dwindling down in the kid pen and that always makes me happy. And I uh, picked up a load of chaff hay this weekend. So we're going to see how that works for us. Trying to start gearing up. Elizabeth sent me a text the other day that said, Hey mom, 90 days until the national show. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, 90 days. <laughs> um, oh, I don't I know about know you. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I don't know about you all, but this time of year is always frustrating to me with my goats because, you know, they're still trying to get their, their blossom back after kidding. It's been raining a whole bunch here. So there's like nasty mud. Their hair looks gross. The barns look gross. There's mud everywhere. And I just look at them and think this looks like a sale barn full of sale barn goats. You know, I mean, it's just ugh, <laughs> icky. So I'm hoping that maybe the chaff hay will help put a little bloom on them and, and we'll kind of see where they're going. So that's it around here, Cameron. I know you're on the road this weekend. Yes. Yeah, so I'm currently in Mississippi judging uh, browsing the coast in Gulfport. So I spent my night on the beach 
Um, and I hate the beach for people for just for public knowledge. I I loathe the beach. Don't like sand; it gets everywhere. But I love I, I ate. Um, but I do love oysters, and oysters are always best by the coast. So I guess I will sacrifice the beach for to get some oysters. Um, so. I'm down here, Judge the Great Goat Show today. It's always rewarding to um, judge judge down here and see really good goats and see even better people. Um, so I really am thankful to the people um, in Mississippi that put on this show. They did a great job. Uh, outside of that, um, it's been a week of, of heck in our farm. I'll say, I'll say that. we seems like everything broke. And it started on Sunday when our milk machine broke. So we spent all week milking 21, 21 and then 22 goats by hand oh. twice a day. It was terrible. <sighs> it was terrible. Um, oh, and then our, then I <laughs> – yeah, it was terrible. And then my de- – then I left the pasteurizers plugged in and we br- I burned up one of the pasteurizers. And that's on me and I, I take full responsibility for that. So um, I had to order two new pasteurizers, which I, I guess is a blessing. Only one burned up, but we ordered two of them. Um, so that was it. It's an expensive week, and then um, we kind of got our milk machine kind of got our milk machine fixed by now. Our backup one's getting fixed as well, so we should be in a better position next week, I think. So was your dad cursing you when you had to leave to go to judge the show because yes. you're not there to help milk? <laughs> yes. He's like, I can't milk these goats. And so I ran up and our friend, the Hinkles have a spare backup milk machine um, because they have two of them and they only milk like six goats or so. So we borrowed theirs. Um, big shout out to them. I don't know. They don't listen. Big shout out to Redbird Acres for saving our butts once again. And my dad's going to take him out to a nice steak dinner is what I, what I told her, what I told Jenny Hinkle. So, um, yeah, it's been, it was, it's been a heck, it's been a crazy week. Yuck. Yeah. And then my buyer, my buyer comes from Florida this week. So next week we will have at least 10 goats going. I'm very excited about that. Woohoo. Yes. And that's, that's been a challenge all in itself, but I really, really, really am excited for the opportunity for those people to come get goats because Florida is such a hard place to get goats into. Megan, do you have a lot of kids left waiting for their homes or have you been able to get everybody shipped out in a timely manner? Um, I still have a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of milkers for sale too. I'm milking, <laughs> Uh, like 25 or something like that. Wow. Um, I just had more kid. Yeah. Some of them have to go. Um, I'm actually fortunate that I kind of have a footnote in the door with one of the, I don't exactly know how this works. So for your, give me if this is completely accurate, but one of like the biggest pack goat breeders in the country. Um, so he sells like, like weathers to people that go, like hiking and packing um like classically people that are big hunters and so they'll use their goats to pack like all their equipment out like in areas where you can't drive vehicles and then they'll like pack the meat and stuff back um on goats mm -hmm. yeah it's like cool it's really cool yeah how'd you how did you get your foot in the door there that's pretty awesome um the vet clinic (laughs) Okay, so, cool. So he uses the vet clinic, yeah. And so he's bought breeding stock from me and then also buys um, like extra buck kids. And the bad thing is, is that I have to raise them up and then they keep their horns. So I have a ton of buck kids with horns still. Oh, but 
but they should be leaving hopefully soon, or at least some of them will be leaving, which will help. But yeah, I have, I don't know. My tattoo number is, I think the last one was like 46. And so that's all. So I have like 46 kids on the place right now. (laughs) Gosh dang. That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't care how many kids I have in the place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't like to. We were celebrating my husband's birthday today. He had a big one, but I won't say what it was. But anyway, um, so his kids were over and, and I don't see all of his kids very often. And one of them said, so how many goats do you have? And I just shook my head. I said, that's not a question we ever ask around here. <laughs> just, just don't, yeah. don't ask. I usually try to get down to 20 by the end of the, uh, by the end of the summer to go into winter time. So, and I'll, I'll make that goal 20. Yes. Oh, I have yeah, 20 well, dry yearlings or 20 yearlings right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah. that, you know, I mean, if I had the room for it, I probably would. I just don't have the room for oh. it. So anyway, so what else is new with you, Megan? Oh, well, um, I don't know. I, I haven't listened to all the episodes, so I don't know if you've touched on it before, but um life's been crazy in the last year because of covid um i i feel like i can't honestly give an interview without at least touching on this and um i i actually consume a lot of interviews from like my favorite musicians and so i really appreciate um that the my favorite musicians both openly talk about mental health and so i think it's worth mentioning that um for covid for me i was lucky in the fact that I could work from home, like three out of my four days that I work, I was only going into the clinic once a week. Um, and so that was, I was fortunate for that. Um, I definitely had a big identity crisis because the goats are like my entire life. And without show season, without appraisal, without anything, it was like, who am I? And <laughs> I mean, I think as dairy goat people with the amount of chores that we do every day, you always ask yourself, is it really worth it? And why do we do this? And it's so much work and so much money and sometimes for a lot of heartbreak. Um, So in the past year, I would say that I've been struggling with my mental health and I do anyways, normally. Um, I, uh, the whole thing that happened in 2012, which I am comfortable speaking out in kind of ambiguous terms, but um, my parents essentially made me, we had at the time probably over a hundred goats, um, probably 40 to 50 in the range of mature animals. And I was forced, forced with the decision to take it all over when I didn't have a job and I had just graduated college. Um, and that whole experience and a lot of things surrounding that, which do include um, like mental and emotional abuse and things, it definitely traumatized me. And so that's all things that I've been dealing with in the past nine years, I suppose. And so this whole COVID thing was not very easy for me. Um, One thing I've always said that in high school, definitely animals are kind of like what saved me and the dairy goats and then definitely my horses. Um, But so this time around, I've said that music and art has really saved me. Um, You guys may or may not have noticed. I hardly interact with any of the dairy goat world on Facebook anymore. Um, and so I just really try to focus all my time and my attention on things that bring me happiness, which as sad as it is to say is not always the dairy goat community. 
Um, <laughs> I love people and I, which is why I'm was actually excited to do this and talk to you, both of you, because I consider you both good friends. And that's always the best part of the shows for me too. And obviously I've met my best friends through the Dairy Goats, but um, social media can be toxic anyways, which is a whole other thing. Um, but so within the last year, I've been spending a lot more time getting more into music and artists that I like. And then also I've been doing some more art myself and things like that. You know, I think Megan, you've brought up some really good points. Um, I would, I, I know that for me, dairy goats have gotten me through a lot of really hard times in my life when um, sometimes it was just the act of knowing that I had critters outside that were waiting for me and were happy to see me no matter how I felt inside, um, got me putting yeah. one foot in front of the other when I couldn't. And, um, so I, you know, I, I get what you're saying totally on that. Uh, animals can be really healing and they always see the best in us, no matter how awful we feel about everything else in the world it doesn't matter to them and i think that's that's a a pretty special thing with them and i would also agree with you about the toxicity of facebook and and uh it's been eye-opening to me that there's there are a lot of dairy goat people that i've grown up knowing or have learned to know through facebook that i respected very much and have lost a lot of respect for them just because how horrible and awful that they are um, on, on Facebook and, and, you know, this world is a great big world with a lot of, a, a lot of opportunities for people to have a lot of different viewpoints. And I'm not going to condemn anybody for the viewpoint that they have. I, you know, if you're, if you're nice to me, I'm, I'm going to be nice to you. And, and I, I think it's a healthy thing sometimes to step back and just say, I'm done with this. This is bringing nothing but sorrow to my life. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you for bringing that up. And mental health today in 2021 is so much more important and so um, much more valued in society than, than it has been in the past. And I, I applaud you for bringing that up. And I appreciate that. And especially highlighting some of the stuff. So thank you. Yeah, I uh, hands down. And I've always really appreciated hearing about it. Um, one thing that this is kind of a side note, but one thing that I've always followed and I found value in, um, and it started originally as like this project, but so I follow like a Twitter account and then there's a website. Um, it's called Post Secret. And um, the guy that runs it, Frank Warren, he started with um just like as a project like send me a postcard with your secret on it and it's evolved into this amazing creative artistic awesome thing um and so people send in their secrets about anything so some of them are funny some of them are sad some of them are i mean incredibly honest and i've always really found value in that i followed it since the early 2000s um, and so every, every Sunday he posts new secrets. They're really easy to like all the links are on Twitter every week. Um, so I find a lot of value in that. Um, one thing I would just mention with the whole social media thing, um, specifically for me, and it's kind of, I don't know, my personality, I suppose, is that I like to agonize over everything. Um, and I agonize over just like different things I think about. 
And um, so I think I've hit, so my favorite musician, I have to give him a shout out, is Frank Turner. He's from um, United Kingdom and his music is incredible. He's an amazing songwriter. So he has this song um, and it's a B-side, like no one knows it, but um, it's called Cowboy Chords. And so the song is essentially like, I know how to play my guitar. I know how to take care of it. I know how to do this. Like I'm at that point and now it's like moving forward. And I definitely feel that way about the goats now. So it's like, I know how to take care of them. I know how to like do my breeding program. And so like that part of Facebook is way less important to me now. And like, it's not that I don't enjoy reading others' opinions and the way they do things. Of course I do. But it's less like, like, I know what I'm doing with my own. And so I feel less obligated to look at everybody else with a fine tooth comb and a microscope, I suppose. That's kind of a freeing point to be at, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was a relief when I was like, oh, I don't have to care about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I think for the, sca- the sake of time, let's skip what's happening in the Edgar world. There, I know there's a lot, but I think I really want to focus in and talking about what we're going to talk about, which I think, Megan, is your true passion is the experimentals. Is that, is that oh, all right with everybody? Sound. Yep, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so the first question is, and this, this I, I guess, you know, we're talking about experimentals, what they can add to our herd. I know We've done stuff on my herd. Laura, I don't think you've done any of it here, but why experimentals, Megan? Uh, So I say that I have two goals with my experimentals. Um, I guess to quickly reiterate, um, my first venture into experimentals and reported grades and things um, was back when me and my mom had moved to Nebraska and – my stepdad had a few alpines that he specifically like wanted to breed Oberhasley. And I found that really interesting because before then my parents or my grandparents had had the purebred Nubians. Um, they started in Oberhasley through Jim Flack, um, who was in Wisconsin at the time. And so initially um, when we moved to Nebraska, we initially started having some um, experimentals and recorded grades. And I had, um, I fell in love with one doe kid. And that's one thing that I would always say is that experimentals, I don't know what it is, but they're just so dang special and they weasel their way into your heart. And they're just like the sweetest goats. I don't know what it is. Um, but anyway, so with my current program, as I say, I have two goals, which one is to improve the Oberhasley breed and then, um, two is to try to breed the best goat I can. Um, so with the Oberhasley or focusing more on the Oberhasley side of it, um, I, I mean, that's kind of the end result. I, as an Oberhasley breeder, maybe I should be, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but maybe I should be a bigger fan of the breed. Um, <laughs> but I'm always comparing them to Alpines and, I mean, every other breed. Um, and, you know, frankly, a little disappointed. Um, throughout my goat career, we've worked, I've worked with like a lot of different genetics, a lot of different lines. Um, I, think I had a purebred once upon a time, but mostly they're all Americans as most of the Oberhasley breed is. Um, and so my goal is to 
bring these improvements, I suppose, and this vision into improving my American herd. Um, all of my American herd now in some line goes back to um, an experimental line that Jeannie White, uh, her, her name was Whitehaven. Well, she, I think they do have a few goats again um, in Oregon. So all of my American Oberhasley go back to that now. Um, I, but I've worked with a lot of other lines and some of the lines don't, I don't have in my herd anymore. And that's just because you have to pick somebody, you know, and move forward. Um, right. But you, you're, you're the experimental doe that, that they all go back to. She was a pretty phenomenal doe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, they all almost all of them go back to my 2010 national champion Whitehaven Mocha. Um, I ha- we had other maternal sisters, so her dam was Whitehaven Chocolate, who is actually the 1999 junior national champion. Um, and her dam Whitehaven Fudge Ripple, I believe I'm correct in saying, um, is behind some really incredible tempo alpines. Um, like Toke and uh, Tetrazzini go back to her. So that's actually the same damn line. So there's actually been like national champions from three different breeds in this damn line. Um, Cause then I have some obes. And cool. so Mocha's 2012, um, actually 2012 twins, Raja and Esmeralda, or the 2016 and 2017 national Oberhasley national champions. So then that's serious stuff there. And I just pulled up cause I, cause I had to remember cause it's been a while since I've looked at your website, Megan, because I don't deal with experimentals a lot, but I'm always curious. And I had to bring up Mocha again, just to remind myself and that tremendous memory system she had. And she wasn't a slouch either when competing at some of the biggest fairs. I mean, she won at Minnesota. She won at Nebraska. She won at Iowa. It looks like, um, yeah. you know, she, she has best in show at Nebraska. I mean, um, you know, this, these are serious shows in the Midwest. So this experimental just wasn't, you know, you're, you're run-of-the-mill experimental just to try something out. This was a doe that was competitive for a long time across many different states. Yeah, I showed her as an age doe even. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at and- her. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was going to go move on, so. Yeah, yeah go ahead, yeah. Um, yeah, so with my American Oberhasley, I actually – and I think there's a lot of value. Um, I use a lot of experimental bucks. Um, actually, most of my bucks are experimental. Um, but so I I definitely, well, I, I keep every generation. I have an experimental buck that doesn't meet breed standards. That's how crazy I am. But um, most of the experimental bucks I have will have American daughters. Um, and because they follow the same percentage lines, if anybody is listening to this and has questions about why the guidebook contradicts itself, the fact is that it does. But definitely I've talked to many people and I understand very thoroughly the rules. And so experimental bucks, they essentially, for the percentages are just the same. Um, to have an American buck, they just need to be one more generation. So instead of being 87, is it 87 and a half? Or 80, I don't, they have to be one more generation to be American themselves, but there's no, there's no negative to using an experimental buck besides the only thing is that you can't show them, but they're American. They have American daughters and you, they fit in the generations just as if they were a doe, 
when you're talking about their daughters. So I have some um, experimental bucks that are 75% essentially or second generation conforming. And that's, that's a really big way to make a experimental like doe who's first generation conforming have a big impact on your American herd or my, my, my American herd as far as what if I'm, what I'm doing. Um, and with this goal of like trying to look at the, or improve the overhostly breed specifically, um, I do have experimentals both that do conform and that do not conform. Um, and I don't mind the ones that don't conform. Um, definitely if someone was wanting to just focus on this improvement of a specific breed, you could be really hard with your calling and only keep animals that conform to breed standard. Cause then you'd be back to American and a jiffy pretty much. So it's, so yeah. it sounds like, Oh, so it sounds like you're doing Go stuff ahead. with bucks. Go what ahead. about with so it sounds like you're doing stuff with bucks. But what are you doing on the with your doe bases as well? Because I notice when I look at your website you have different doe lines as well. Yeah. That might not be that might not be over Hosleys. Yeah, so this goes to my second point of which is probably the bigger one to be honest, but I need to give the Opus a fair shake <laughs> to start with. Um so my other goal with experimentals is just to simply try to breed the best goat that I can. Um, so right now, besides my whatever yearling milkers I have, and this is something that I don't really say about my goats all the time, but I have for my experimental show string this year, I should have six does. And this is, I believe the strongest show string I've ever had of one breed. Um, all six of them are animals that I can say I'm actually proud of. Um, and all six of them, I have a list in the barn because I just thought it was cool. Like, so I have six does, one um, seven-year-old, one four-year-old, four one three-year-old, and then three two-year-olds. Um, so out of all six of them, three of them go back to Mocha, who we were just talking about. Three of them go back to one La Mancha um, experimental line that I've been working with, and then three other ones, so it's like kind of overlapped, go back to another La Mancha line. So all six of these does are actually Oberhasli, Alpine, and La Mancha percentages somehow. Um, and I, I find that really cool. I've um, One of the two-year-olds that I'm selling is 50% Alpine, 50% Oberhasli, but she's just not as good. And that was like a newer line that I tried to bring in and work with. Um, she's just not as good as the other stuff I've been working with a little longer. Um, I have two distinct La Mancha dam lines. Um so one of them actually goes back to that first La Mancha that Levi and Josh gave me in 2006, Juanita. Um, so my seven-year-old that I'll be showing, at, hopefully at least at Nationals, Moxie is a granddaughter. And then um, I have another granddaughter of Juanita, Pangea, who is our queen. Um, she's... So both of their dam, they were produce a dam, Moxie and Pangea. Their dam, Pandora, was 50%. La Mancha, 50% over Hosley. Um, and so Pangea is actually an AI to Tempo Aquila Freelance, who people should know from the West Coast. Um, yeah. And she, she, I hope if anybody knows any goat from my herd, they should know Pangea. Um, she's been best in show multiple times. She was almost reserve national champion twice. She won her class in 2000. And uh, what was Wisconsin? 2017? 17. 17. 17. 17. 
as a four-year-old, she was first with first daughter. Um, and then the following year, yeah, 2018 in Columbus, she was second with second under to the national champion. Um, she kitted <gasps> in early June that year and nationals was in late June. And so her memory just wasn't big enough for her body. So, but she's, she, well, when she was born, so she's a crazy percentage for an Oberhasley breeder, half Alpine, quarter La Mancha, quarter Oberhasley. But when she was born, she was immediately like special. And this was, she was born in, uh, she was the first year of the Di Drago herd name. Um, so this was kind of during a tough time in my life. And I was like, if I have to get out of goats, I'm at least keeping her and a friend because she's the only goat you ever need. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she is beautiful. She is one of my yes. favorites. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to bring up another favorite, Megan. Yeah, you you didn't mention you haven't mentioned the Mudblood Princess. Ah, yeah. Um, So that brings me to the point of sometimes, or to be successful with experimentals, and I think this goes for bringing in any genetics. um, Because if if you think about it, experimentals are just like the more crazy way of bringing in outside genetics like you just have zero percent inbreeding and it's but you can have zero percent inbreeding with staying with your own breed so it's like a heightened version of bringing in outside genetics um and i think the the trick to that is that you just have to cull really hard and you kind of do have to go through a lot of animals but i mean genetic progress anyways the more numbers you have the more progress progress you're theoretically going to be able to make but um and so there's definitely a balance and i think we all go through this anyways of being objective about our herds and then being like emotional and loving our animals uh-huh. oh yeah yep and and so i did try the, um and it, she was an esmeralda daughter who was half nubian and out of a really good nubian rock hard um and it just didn't work i had i freshened like three or four daughters and they just weren't as good as my other stuff and so i ended up they all left i ended up calling them all um she, she was blood, a pretty cool half-blood. goat though yeah half blood princess she was super cool but then her kids just like they had they had the good things and the bad things they all had bad weak chines and yeah. their memories weren't as good as like my Pangea stuff. So sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, she was just in, in a cool name. So you have pretty yeah. cool names on your animals. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody that um, raises like show boars bought her and a few other does. So she has a really good home at least. She was really <laughs> hard for me to sell. Yeah, I think I think it's hard, especially those memorable ones where it's a really cool breeding or, you know, in that case, it's a goat that, you know, had garnered regional success as well. And everyone kind of knew her. Um, So. So, yes. But I do have a question for that. What are thinking about the experimentals? What specific traits are you trying to improve, especially in your overhosties, kind of with these experimental um, goals and and mad scientist playground you're playing in? Sure. (laughs) That's a a great compliment. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's, I mean, definitely I can say memory and I can say strength and substance and size. Um, I mean, memory is obviously a big, big one a good overhasley memory still isn't the same as a good alpine or la mancha memory um i mean and like there's good yeah i know there's good ones but um i'm also yeah i i guess my whole life is probably defined by my 
two-sidedness of like objective scientific reasoning like i consider myself lawful neutral like i'm dedicated to the truth i'm honest all the time even when i shouldn't be and um as you can tell i talk a lot and then also this other part of my personality which is like very creative and artistic and like i love music as i said um like frank turner and bts are my favorite musicians and i listen to their music 20 hours a day um and so experimentals give me kind of that both in a way like that um artistic side as well as like this really interesting scientific sort of thing that I guess suppose I'm trying to do. But so besides those general things of, I guess what I'm trying to improve is more, more often than not, I fall in love with a specific animal and I'm like, I want an overhouse that looks like that, or I, or that would be a perfect compliment to this dough. So that's kind of more of my angle, I suppose, is more like individualistic, I suppose. Gotcha. That's, yeah, that makes sense. One of the things that, and and, um, I'm not an experimental breeder, not because I have anything against them. I just don't have the room in my, I just don't have room for another breed. But one of the things that I think would be so cool is it's almost like you're at a smorgasbord and nothing's off the table for you. I mean, yep. <laughs> you know, you can, you can grab this from here and you can grab that from there. And with the, with the whole idea that, you know, you could, you could make a goat that nobody says, wow, that's a beautiful doe for an overhosley or that's a beautiful doe for a La Mancha or Alpine or yeah. breed. They could just say, that is a beautiful doe period. Yeah. I think that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, so I have a two-year-old, um, and again, generally, I don't talk this positively about my goats. Like, if we were talking about my Oberhasley, I would be telling you everything I didn't like. Um, but so I have a two-year-old, Nefertiti. She's a second freshener. She's cool because she's solid black. Um, she, I think, is possibly the best goat I've ever owned, because um, I, I do think she's better than Pangea, and otherwise Pangea probably took that title for a while i mean she's our queen after all but um (laughs) so nefertiti so she's from my other la mancha line um who goes back to tempo kersey um who so from the tempo herd a la mancha that is a taklak daughter out of jamie who was um and wasn't she a was she a travis daughter jamie uh um maybe hold on I, i'm looking at it right now um so. she was a tra no a yeah J- jamie was a travis daughter yes travis and Talklock. so if you're not familiar with la mancha people i would say Talklock and travis dominated the west coast um la mancha gene pool for about seven ish years out there between those two yeah yeah and so she, so kersey was so she was chocolate la mancha which was part of the reason that I fell in love with a La Mancha breed was I love the chocolates. Um, my parents got her for me as a graduation gift from high school. And Aww. so if you look on ad genetics and you look at all of her progeny, she had a lot of La Mancha progeny and none of the ones that I bred were very, very good. Um, and that's part of the reason I ended up getting out of them. And then I um, gave her to Josh and Levi for a few years. And so she had a, had a really good daughter for Josh, Dracina, um, and then I got her back for her last year and, um, I brought her to Brownie, my experimental Oberhasley type buck. And that gave me Rhea. So Rhea's, uh, five this year, I believe. Maybe she's six. 
I think she's five. Um, and so she is well on her way to being my next mocha. And uh, Ray is nice. Her memory isn't my favorite. So, like, she's not going to be in my show string this year because she doesn't have to be. She's finished and she's milking now to feed the kids, but she'll dry up before nationals or whatever. Um, but so I have, I have seven daughters out of her, including her two AI doe kids from this year. Um, and so I have the two two-year-olds. I have three yearlings and, like, all of them are good. And I kept her first buck kid that she had as a yearling milker. Um, but so this two-year-old Nefertiti's out of her. So she goes back to that, those Lamancha genetics. And then Nefertiti's sire, she's AI out of Caracol um, Argento. I don't know if there's a, yeah, there might be yeah. letters or something before that. No, you're, you're right. He, you're right. He's closely related to um, Akabono, who is probably their biggest, Doe, a really gorgeous doe and his dam Argento's dam was a saga daughter who I adored I put her best in show once when I judged in Minnesota um and so anyway so I had gotten a, some some semen from Emily and that's who Nefertiti is and she'll she's another example of this three-way hybrid and to breed you know to AI Rhea to Alpines it's just clearly or just purely on the trying to breed the best goat I can and what I hoped would be the best compliment for her. Um, and I'm really excited about that though. Oh, that's I, cool. I just, I just see Megan Okison just in, just like pouring test tubes in her barn, just mixing things up. <laughs> Practically. I used a lot of AI. Um, we have a, a half Toggenberg doe kid AI this year. Um, my partner's favorite breed is Toggenbergs, and I'm not going to have any full Toggenbergs. But I had I had bought some semen from Anna Thompson um, a, a few years ago, and I tried to actually AI a La Mancha to that, and she had triplet buck kids. So this year I, I, I AI'd two different does to two different Toggenberg bucks and got one doe kid and three buck kids. So we have a new project. So this doe kid that we have hit the sh- Hit your shots is her name. Um, is half Oberhausley, half Toggenberg, and she's adorable. <laughs> what color is she, Megan? So she's like, so she's definitely chocolate based. So you can see like the Oberhausley, like bay color, but her black points are chocolate. And then she has like cream points over top of the bay, essentially. So her belly like has the Oberhausley black, but then she has cream over her like black stockings. She's oh, cute. cute. And she has she has this cute little Toggenberg head. Like, there's no doubt in the world that she's half Toggenberg. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing about Togs in my book. I love their little heads. <laughs> their ear sets so perfect. They're just adorable. So with that being said, another question here. Do you find that when you do this year, like, do you know what color to expect almost when you have the kids? I mean, do you, I mean, obviously with this Tog Oberhossley cross, you must have not known what was going to happen. So, um, yes and no. Um, I, as I'm a nerd and everything else, um, like I know equine coat color genetics very well. Um, the goat color genetics are different because everything is, I'll spare you the gritty details, but there's less like loci, which are the place on the chromosomes that color is like the bases where color is determined um everything theoretically for like the base pattern is all on the same loci so there's theoretically like a limited number of 
options or alleles that can be there. And there's other modifying factors. So like white is separately controlled and like dilution factors are separately controlled. But as far as like the base color goes, it's actually rather simple. And essentially once like for overhasleys, because of, because essentially with dairy goat or with goats, you can see the they'll express like all the different the two alleles that they have for their color so therefore like for overhasses once you get correct color i've never lost it um i mean you know white spots happen from time to time but um i actually have very little white surprisingly and even my experimentals i don't have a lot of white on them i think i just got lucky i never really selected away from it specifically but I don't struggle with a lot of white in my experimentals anyways. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So Megan, a question for you. I, I've always kind of been mentored into believing strength in line breeding to help uh, solidify positive traits that you're trying to breed and so forth. Line breeding, I think would be very difficult with experimentals. So um how do you work that out? How do you get consistency in those lines? Yeah. So, um, and I've, I think this is related to a similar question that I have been sub subjected to, I suppose this is maybe a polite way of putting it, um, about how do you not like dilute the improvements that you make? So like, yeah, sure. A half Alpine will be really beautiful, but how do you, like by the time it's an American overhasley, you're going to lose all those things that you've gained. I've heard people say that. And then that's a reasonable assumption to make. Um, and maybe sometimes it can. And most people that do experimentals do it on accident or they have one or whatever. And um, side note, but I think we kind of touched on this earlier and I think it's important to say is that um, the herd space, as we were talking about, is like the most limiting factor that we have with goats. And so it's a lot. I mean, if you have multiple breeds, it's a lot to portion out, like, because your numbers get big so fast. So it's really hard to dedicate. I mean, even having one breed, it's a lot of work. Um, but so, but for me, because I have the passion, I actually have more experimentals than I do over Hustle. Um, Like we said, my show string is going to be bigger. Um but for me, like, that's what I'm passionate about. That's what the project that I want to do. And it's no less valid than anybody else. And I think that's what makes like a breeding program, a breeding program is that we all have something different that we're working with. And whether it's bringing in genetics from somebody else or just being like the caretaker of the current genetics you have. And I think it's an important reminder that any divert like on the grand scheme of things within the dairy goat industry or within the industry of just a breed having diversity is always healthy it's healthy for everything always but to have people trying different things and moving in different directions and focusing on different things i think it's just better overall um but so anyways to step back um so part of it i guess is numbers but and um it's it's hard to compare because you know I have had a lot of Americans that I've been working with just as long, and the the fact is that every, a good doe is not going to have all good progeny. It's just like the fact of it, and so it's really important to be moving forward with those consistencies, like within the experimentals. So with PNGA, for example, I've had 
I don't know. She's had quite a few daughters. Um, one year she had triplets, and so I only have one of those triplets, and that's Dratini. She's four. So of my show string of six, I, two of them are Pangea daughters, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And they both have the balance of, I think, what P- makes Pangea both great. They both, thankfully, meet Oberhasley breed standard, so they're both just right at 50% Oberhasley. And then they have Alpine and La Mancha, of course. Um but so I think it's as you go through those generations, you just have to be really strict about what you're keeping and not everything's going to be good anyways. And I, I mean, Dratini is better than any American Oberhasley I own. So I don't think that I'm losing that progress as fast. Um, also to side note specifically, you asked about line breeding. I do actually line breed a lot. So even though my animals will be experimentals, they can have decently high inbreeding percentages and I am like line breed on my experimental lines. Very cool. That's interesting because you know you, you talk about how you can pull in pieces of different things and if you could see me here I'm like hand gesturing everywhere up and down pulling in pieces <laughs> into Megan's experiment here but then you talk about line breeding and I think about line breeding in terms of my breeding program, Laura's breeding program, because we both have purebred alpines, and it's it's kind of a core to what that is. It does it look differently than than you know maybe a purebred alpine breeder or maybe you know a purebred overhousey breeder or somebody that does a lot of line breeding. I I think it has to be actually really similar to bringing in outside genetics. I mean, like bringing in a buck from somebody that's even if it is purebred alpine you still use it on a lot of or you get a certain number of daughters and you have an idea of what it's working but then you only keep the ones that were that are good or the ones that had the improvement you were trying to make and without crossing with low so with experimentals obviously you have hybrid vigor so it's like a well-known thing in other species that they that being having a lower percentage inbreeding means that they perform higher, they grow bigger, they milk more, whatever traits you're tracking. Um, the reason they don't do it with Holsteins in like the commercial industry is just Holsteins are better than everything else, like for what they're breeding for. Um, but so there's definitely hybrid vigor with experimentals, which makes them good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just being strict about keeping and I mean, some of it is being objective and being like, that didn't work. And But I think that's true. I have more good experimentals than I do Oberhasleys, and I had more Oberhasleys than experimentals for a long time. So I don't know that experimentals are actually less successful. I don't know. It's hard to say. Is Either it that easy or I just got lucky. Well, I, I wonder too, maybe, you know, a lot of people will hold on to animals, and I know that I'm, I'm guilty of this at times, hold on to an animal that if you didn't know the pedigree behind them, they would have been out last week, but, Oh, this is so-and-so's daughter and this should work. And, and I could see where maybe with experimentals that might not be quite as much of a a push to keep it. I don't know, maybe not, but um, because you can reach out to another line or another breed and uh, add in some things, maybe you're not going to be so stuck on pedigree. Yeah, maybe potentially. And, and for me, I always, whenever I'm doing anything, if I'm bringing in, even if it's a, like a 
American Oberhasli or whatever. Um, whenever I'm trying to bring in something from somebody, so like in, I don't know, guessing the year 2011, I judged something like that, Tucson, Arizona, and I saw Sandy Van Echo's goats in real life. And that year, I actually, from Dr. Deb, I bought a buck that was actually Raja and Esmeralda's Esmeralda Sire. Um, I bought a buck that Deb had had for a few years, and then I also AI'd to another Sereco buck. So whenever I bring in new genetics, I always try to do it in multiple ways. Um, and actually, Nefertiti is an example from that. So I mentioned I have another two-year-old that's half Alpine, half Obrasi that I'm selling. So she's out of a Caracol, though, that I bought. So that year, I bought Ansari who's Akabono's full sister. Um, and then I AI'd Rhea to a different Caracol box. Whenever I bring in new g- genetics, I always try to do it in several different ways um, because you just never know what's going to be the best. And at the time you make the best decision you can and you don't know which one's going to be the most successful. But then there's a point where you're able to evaluate what happened and sorry to say, but you call the bad stuff and you move forward with the good stuff. And sometimes that's been cases for me with lines where it's just bad luck with somebody dies or somebody only has bucks and you don't have anything left. And it's like, sorry to say, but that's just how it goes and you need to move forward. It's hard though. Good advice though. Yes. I agree on that. So Megan, it looks like you had some questions for us because you're going to, you're going to be the interviewer right now. It sounds like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was wondering what you guys have done with the experimentals or recorded grades. Laura, go ahead. <laughs> oh, mine's short and sweet because, you know, I, I mean, Alpine's again, I have a small herd and um, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, wanted to get into Sonnens. So uh, we've had Sonnens and, you know, we've been really fortunate that we've taken them places sometimes to breed and we've attempted to AI. And sometimes they just get bred by the Alpine buck because that's the only choice that we have. So that's my experience with experimentals. Um, Most of the time they didn't stay around. Just again, it's a numbers thing, you know, um, Elizabeth wanted to grow her son and herd, didn't really care about growing an, an experimental herd. So they went on elsewhere. Actually, one of the experimentals, though, that she bred was in the top 10 in experimentals, I think, on butterfat one year. So that was kind of fun. I'm like, wow. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's really it. That's that's the limit to my experience with that. So Yeah. So we've had some experience there. And one was... I don't know if it was on purpose, but I really liked Oberhasleys growing up for some reason. I said, I thought they're really cool. And I still think Oberhasleys are really cool because I think um, they have a sleekness, a style about them. You know, you get a really fancy with solid feet and legs, uh, junior, like Oberhasley kid. My my heart's going to melt because they just look so yeah. fancy and stylish inside profile. Um but, but so I don't know if we got one or my dad bought one in a rat. I don't know. I was, I was younger. I really wasn't really privy on a lot of the details, but it was an Oberhasli recorded grade. It was Oberhasli Alpine. So we could breed it up Alpine, which was fine. And this is where we got, um, and basically we didn't know what to do with it. So we're like, okay, let's, we'll breed it Alpine. We bred it to Saga, which you noted in our show notes, which I always appreciate. Um, and, <laughs> and she was the reserve junior national champion one year. I think it was 2008. Yeah. Yoda yeah. was her name. Yoda was, yep. um, she never really stood on the farm very long. Again, that wasn't 
I wouldn't say that was by design, though. You know what I'm saying? It, it was just like I needed a book, kind of like just like Laura said. Um, yeah. But the the other cross we've had, we've had we've tried to do Sal- Sable Alpine cross, where we've tried to um, give some traits from our alpines to our sables. Um, and we did it where we bred an alpine doe to a sable buck, and that was kind of our plan. But I don't think it panned out to what we thought it was going to be. And I don't think we stuck with it long enough. We didn't see the traits in the recorded grade that we thought we were going to see. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I guess, you know, we you, you have this design plan in your mind of what it's going to look like. But then it sometimes it just doesn't material out. And I, you might get – would you say sometimes when that happens, you get kind of discouraged at the breeding or something like that? Megan? Well, like that Nubian line that I tried, that was a bit discouraging. Actually, um, uh, nationals were in Minnesota in 2013, I think. Um, we ended up getting the Toggenberg raffle kid from Anna Thompson, and um, Wikiwachi was her name. And when she freshened her memory, was it was like well attached, but where the teeth are like really, really forward, and she just mm-hmm. wasn't the best. And we had a brownie daughter out of her. And then that doe ended up like not turning out. And she like got mastitis after she freshened and then like tried to, you know, get something out of her to keep. And then that doe kid was like ugly. And so they just all left. <laughs> um, it's definitely Sometimes it's a dead end. <laughs> happened. Yeah. And yeah, well, and then sometimes you get bucks and only bucks and then you're just like that was a waste, but I mean, that happens with American yeah. stuff anyways. Yeah. No, I feel like that could be the biggest showstopper for, you know, having excitement. It doesn't really pan out or they have bucks because, you know, I feel like that could be a, for lack of a better term, the buzz kill. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, um, I've, I've tried or I've had, you know, different lines and, um, like trying different things and then yeah i'll um well i mean even in my americans i do some pretty hefty line breeding um and then i mean always it's like you either get something good or you something bad or something middle of the road and then you always try to just work with the best stuff and move forward but i think percentage wise i've had more success with probably because of hybrid vigor of definitely that first generation being good um and then, yeah, the second generation, I guess, you just have to be, unless you do another outcross like I like to do, then you get something even better. But I think for some of the lines, I definitely can see improvements go, like, that improvement being carried through. And then sometimes it's not. And when it's not, you don't need to work with that anyway. So you're ending up you end up keeping the stuff that the traits that you want are consistently transmitted anyways so like pangea i mean she's a cool doe and she's big um her thing which goes back to that la mancha actually is a ton of strength of bone a ton of depth of heart girth and um her two daughters that i have definitely have that dratini and mew um i've kept a ton of dratini sons and she's only four i'm keeping another one from this year um (laughs) But I've definitely see so I have some American Oberhasley yearlings that are out of the 
first Drakini son that I had. And they definitely have that improvement in strength of bone and heart girth that has to come from Pangea and Juanita before her. So it kind of, it can work, I suppose. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. I, yeah. That's uh Megan, do you have any, any other mad scientist wisdom here on, on experimentals? Maybe how somebody could, you know, Maybe, maybe take that first plunge into the mad scientist world of experimentals. And it's not a bad world. I want to live in that mad scientist world too. Oh, that makes me so happy. Um, <laughs> so I, overall I do it or I've done it by like literally falling in love with a doe of some other breed. So most of the time it's Alpine because Alpines are good as we can all agree. Um <laughs> So, so sometimes it depends uh, on the day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and so I've used both purebred alpines and American alpines, like Pangea's Freelance and Nefertiti's Caracol lines. Um, so a good example of this is that Craig Koopman put this picture on Facebook. I have it linked on her page if you look at my website. Um, on uh. I think it's Drago, M-O-N-Y, so money, buckwheat, hopaluya. Um, so he had this money daughter, Miami, who is a solid black alpine, which is his gorgeous mammary system. He put this picture on from a show as a two-year-old. And I contacted him while I went on Genetics, saw that the slayer was collected, and asked him immediately to buy semen. Um, and so I ended up getting semen from nationals that year. And so I AI'd buckwheat, who is a doe with a really gorgeous body and a really not so gorgeous mammary system. Um, also, I'm really, really, really strict on mammary systems. I think, and for better or for worse, um, I want them to be prettier. I just don't want to milk them, I guess. Um, but so anyway, so I had AI'd buckwheat to money. And I got a doe kid, Hopaluya, and she is gorgeous. Um, she does have weak rear pasterns, which kind of, I think, are from the Alpine. Well, whatever. Um, but her mammary system was unlike anything in Oberhasley ever has. Beautiful. When So in Wisconsin, we said that was 2017. Um, she was first place, first daughter, two-year-old. And... So I kept a few daughters out of her last, last year I had two, two year olds that I sold because they were small and just not great. And I have a dry yearling out of her now. Um, but I sold her last year to a friend, um, in Nevada who shows, and that was just because I needed, you know, I, and sometimes I'm not, I guess as a personal breeder, I'm not afraid to sell some really good goats, especially to someone who I know will take care of them or our friends, but, because I kind of view like, and I guess this does tie in with experimentals overall, I kind of view my herd or the lines I'm working with as like if I'm the keeper of their genetics. And so like with Hapaluya, I think that breeding was really cool and I think I got something good, but I didn't feel like I had to be that keeper anymore. So I can pass that torch to someone else. And if it if um, Jennifer London has something amazing come out of Hapaluya, then I'd love to order a buck back. You know what I mean? I'm not afraid to like sell permanent champions and stuff. I think that is 
a laudable thing to say. And I think more people should be willing to do that, including myself. Me too. It can be hard. I I agree. And I feel like if they've stayed on the farm for so long, you have a emotional attachment to them. As weird as that sounds. Oh yeah. Well, that was like Hapaluya last year. Cause so last year I think she was, yeah, I think she was five last year. So she's six this year. And that's what I said is like, I, if they're here that long, like if they're here when they're five, they're probably staying forever, which we all have limited space and all that. Um, but I knew like, if she wasn't like, that was the only place she was going to go if she was going to leave. And, um, it's related to, I am really emotionally attached to my goats and like PNG is retired cause she has a mystery lameness until she's actually free range. Um, but I, you know, when they've those few does that do earn their spot and they do a lot for your herd, like Raja, I didn't breed this year, even though she looks amazing and she could have easily kitted. It was just like, I'm at the point where I have two good Raja daughters. I have a Raja son to work with. She did enough for my herd. And so I don't breed her. And so I have like three retired goats now. And then I have some, like I said, that I kid and then I'm not going to have them in the show string just because I don't need to. Yeah. And, and just a reminder here for people that might not be familiar with Raja, she was the 2006 Ad national champion and reserve best daughter there. So I'll um, be a beautiful goat in her own right there. So. Yeah, she was gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous doe. One yeah, of those does that. panel dry. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's one of those does though, that, that when I saw her at her, very prime. I'm like, and that is a goat that you don't have to excuse is an overhousley. I mean, it, it, she'd be a good goat in any breed. And I, I just yeah. think she's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's a great compliment. Thank you. Well, it's very well-deserved. And Esmeralda too. They're both just beautiful, beautiful does. Yeah. It's an incredible thing to have litter mate sisters like them. Yeah. Very much so. Absolutely. Well, Cameron, uh, do we know what we're going to do next week? We were we were thinking about that because I have uh, a wedding to go ceremony of renewal vows, wedding, whatever you want to call it from COVID um, canceling it. That's a goat wedding. So that shall be interesting to see if we could get that together. I know that group was trying to get me in on their tea time as well because they get have a tea time and alas I have to work. So um I don't know. We'll figure something out for next we're gonna mix it up next week. Megan, um again we talked about social media, but where can we find your goats on the internet and maybe on Facebook too, right? Yeah. My website's out of date and my Facebook's out of date. Um but yeah, I do have a Facebook page, D Drago Dairy Goats, D E I D R A G O. The A does have dots over it sometimes. Um, and my website's ddrago.net. I'm Megan Okison. You can find me on Facebook too. Um, I need to update it, but there's another project for life. <laughs> I, think, I think everybody says that. Oh, my! I have a website, but it needs to be updated. Because I know that's that's my song too. So oh, that's, that's me right now. So awesome. Megan, we really appreciate you hanging out with us. Um, and, and bringing some great insight on to experimentals and the mad scientist project. So I appreciate and thank you for coming on. Thank you. I can't this wait to see light. you at some shows this summer, Megan. 
Yeah, and I'll have you look at those experimentals and let, see what <laughs> you have to say about them. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank everybody for being um, our listeners again this week. And uh, as always, we really appreciate you. Please look for us on Facebook under Goat Gab. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find your favorite listening podcasts. So thank you for being our faithful listeners and have an awesome week. Thanks, y'all.